In therapy and in music, the baseline informs where we go to next. This is the show that examines the present state of music therapy and asks, where to from here? Welcome to Baselines with Joe Thompson. This podcast was made on the lands of the Darug people. Today's guest on Baselines is Samantha Shola-Jones. This episode continues with our international theme, but allows for a hiatus from the people I met in my America trip as we follow Sam's own extraordinary journey, which took her to the other side of the Northern Hemisphere. There are a few people who can claim to have a more colourful answer to how did you become a music therapist than Sam. Samantha completed a Bachelor of Music in Performance in Flute at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts with the late Richard Gill as the Dean in 1991. After graduating, she commenced her performance career, which included performing casually with the West Australian Symphony Orchestra. Passionate about teaching flute, Samantha taught extensively across Perth, including having a teaching position at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. In 1995, she was accepted into the Franz Liszt Hochschule für Musik in Weimar, Germany, to complete further studies with Professor Robert Wynne, former principal flautist of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, London. In 1997, Samantha moved to Berlin to complete a degree in music therapy at the Institute for Music Therapy. On returning to Australia in 2004, she decided to combine her experience as a music therapist and educator, completing a diploma in secondary education at the University of New England. Between 2007 and 2017, she worked as a classroom music specialist with the Department of Education, teaching and conducting recorder ensembles, choirs and school band programs across several schools in the Blue Mountains. As a registered music therapist, Samantha has worked with Singing Grow since 2012, first as a contractor before becoming a clinical specialist in 2017 and a community partner with Mission Australia in their Communities for Children program, providing early intervention music therapy services to families and children 0 to 5 in southwest Sydney. Could you just sort of introduce yourself a little bit and talk about the sort of work that you do at the moment? I'm working at the moment in southwest Sydney as a sing and grow mm. music therapist, as a community partner with Mission Australia's program, Communities for Children, which is funded by the Department of Social Services. How long have you been a music therapist for? So, basically since 2002. So, you encountered music, you were just telling me before, uh, from a recorder instructor, which... Um, then led you to investigate music therapy only to discover that the pathway wasn't actually as open as you hoped it might be. From a very early age, I had a passion of working with people with disability or with other needs, and it was something I wanted to explore. And even, you know, when we did work experience uh, at school in Year 10, um, one of my work experiences was at the then very politically incorrect uh, term called the Spastic Centre. I loved my work there. Mm. And then my lovely, dear old 
recorder teacher had spoken about looking at doing um, my second work experience in Dural where there was, uh, I believe it was the Nordoff Robbins School was there that I was able to observe music therapy for the first time and I was blown away. I was totally, it was just like, this is what I want to do. I was 16. What was so impactful about it? It was seeing how powerful music was with these young children and and what it could do, how it was reaching these children. It was a total joy. And at 16 to recognise that was like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. Mm. And uh, Mm. then that beautiful hope was deflated really quickly when I was told that um, you had to have a minimum of eighth grade piano. And I'd grown up in a block of flats uh, sharing a, a bedroom with my brother um, two-bedroom flats, so having a piano on the third floor of a flat wasn't really viable. So I didn't have eighth-grade piano and I wasn't going to get eighth-grade piano and I still don't have actually eighth-grade piano. <laughs> um, so it looked like that was the end of the dream. That was the end of the dream. By the time I finished school, I was told that um, I could become a nurse and I came back to my parents and I went, I can't do nursing. And uh, my friendship group at that time, my boyfriend had said, study music. And I went, okay, yeah, I can do that. My father turned around and said, well, if you're going to do that, I'm not going to um, pay for your education. And I said, that's fine. I'll do it on my own. So I worked for the next three years to get um, Ausstudy and then auditioned and around the country and I was so lucky to end up in Western Australia at the Academy of Performing Arts where I had Richard Gill for the next four years. So that was my musical journey. So I'd had, the again, the fortune of meeting amazing people and amazing teachers and there was a professor. He wasn't a professor then. It was Robert Wynne. He was the principal flautist from the Royal Philharmonic he came to Australia. My flute teacher at the time, Brian Warren, was uh, actually, fun fact, he played on he played with the Beatles and he got the job over a very famous flautist called James Galway in the BBC. Anyway, he had his connections and he brought Robert Wynne out to teach us at the conservatorium and he, he and I clicked and I ended up in 94. Uh, 93, going over and having some extra lessons with him in London. And in 95, I auditioned for the Franz Liszt Hochschule of Musik in Weimar. So in 1995, I took off to Germany and dropped everything, thinking I'd be away for a year, which ended up into being nine years. So obviously something (laughs) happened along the way in that initial year. I landed in Germany with the arrogance that I'd speak German very quickly and understand everyone. And, of course, (laughs) that didn't happen. Survival of the fittest, I had to learn fairly quickly. So to give you sort of context, Weimar, um, so landing in in where I was studying is a former, that was the former East. Weimar was going to be Hitler's Third Republic. So a lot of history, but also the incredible history of, you know, you had Franz Liszt, you had Bach, all these people that came through this town. Very rich musical tradition. Goethe was one of the big people. It was an incredible time. So the first yeah. year was just flute lessons and playing. And then after a year, I went, 
I think I'm just starting to understand the Germans. <laughs> <clears throat> I think I'm getting it. And at the end of the last, that, that first year, I went, oh, now I've got a boyfriend. I'm going to have to find my way to stay here a bit longer. So I pushed out my visa for another year and uh, ended up studying um, piccolo just Whoa. so I could stay. In- just so you had a reason and to keep studying. And it was in this year that I one day came down into our sort of communal area and mm. um, on the table was a, a selection of pamphlets on where you could study music therapy in Germany. And, and you probably thought back to that moment in Dural where you had such yeah. profound experience. Yeah, I was blown away. So I started looking through them. It was like, oh, I could really, this could really happen. I applied for to study at the Institute for Filmmusiktherapie in Berlin and uh, they accepted me. Wow. So the next thing was how do I stay in Berlin or in Germany as mm. well as, you know, you're in a relationship. So the, my logic was, well, we need to get married. Well, you had this dream that you thought had died and suddenly was alive again. So yeah. you needed to do whatever you could to realise that dream, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And now we're back in Berlin. We've landed in Berlin and got married and then Falker goes and gets a job 450 kilometres south of where we are. So you started studying music therapy yeah. in Berlin. Yeah. What was that like? We came together as a group and then the director went, we did some sort of improvisation but we never found a moment of gelling together. And it was really interesting because this was my introduction into something I had no clue about, this process. So we we do these improvisations and and usually through a group process you eventually sort of find a way through music to gel in some ways. Okay, yeah. But we we never gelled. you didn't. No. And, like, everyone just did their own thing. So what was the sort of approach of this course and the... the It was a psychotherapy-based music therapy course. Which is quite unique in Australian context today, I suppose. Yeah. And very much... um, also experiential so a lot of it was your relationship to music Mm. and how it affected you and to be able to express that and to identify how music affected you whether it be listening or performing or, or improvising and then to have that deep understanding of that to be able to then understand when you're working with your clients mm. the effects of music. So it's learning from personal experience the properties of music as you experience them. Exactly. So that you can apply them in your work. So Christoph okay. Schraber's approach to music therapy developed out of his first one, Sozial Therapy, came out of his developed out of his time of living and growing up in East Germany. And he developed this Sozial Musiktherapie as, you know, Sozial Gesundheit, so social health and Sozial Isolation. So isolation leads to um, ill health. Sounds almost like a kind of community power relationship within the community impacts well-being. Absolutely. If you're isolated, um, yeah, isolation leads to people being unwell. And that, I think, must have been, well, 
it's not to say that in DDR times that it was people being unwell, but where he would have seen people in institutions or otherwise that were isolated or um, so that whole process of music therapy that he developed to group music therapy to work through that that isolation, so to speak. So in a group of improvisation, a part of the, the process is the reflection, one of the most important parts of the of we will be guided into an improvisation. Play how you uh, woke up feeling this morning. So you've got your your so you know you either woke up in a good mood and you're playing on your little instrument in the group. And you're playing, yeah, I feel really great. And your friend next to you is sort of going, I had a really shitty morning and I'm thumping on something. Or then you got, you know, the one that's sort of like, well, I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know how I felt. And then you're doing that in a, a group situation, maybe 10 people together. And then in that process, do people come together to find a group voice in that improvisation? Mm. Then, or maybe not. And then, um leading that as a therapist out of that group improvisation to then really reflect directly on what was so first of all on the very sort of music level what did you hear you wouldn't go straight in how did you feel but what did you hear did did anyone hear you in the group that sort of thing so there's mm. this awareness out of the yes um I heard, is there anyone that you connected with during the improvisation? So suddenly, yeah, I started to connect with Joe over there. I, f I enjoyed his groove, so I started to get into it. And how did that change you? Yeah, maybe I, I got out of my bad mood and, well, no, I actually started to take on Joe's bad mood. Thanks, Joe. It, music gets used as like both a proxy for social interactions but also is a more expressive and fluent uh, version of social interaction than standard language. Yeah. So you could express, yeah, you don't need the verbal. Yeah. So the same thing could be, you know, in, in I've worked in a workshop where it was like uh, people with disabilities went to a place of employment and then they had music therapy. So all everyone would come up and do a session with music therapy. So, again, working on their social skills or their expression. But, it, again, that music brought everyone and connected everyone together. So we explored all areas of using music. So there'd be music, we would, uh, music in dance, music in art combined um, and drawing, um, improvisation, Everything that involves music, right? Um, there was one time, I guess, where I'd got to the point, I, I found it really hard to analyse myself deeply in a, an improvisation or, or an activity. We were drawing yeah. to music and I drew the beach and it was a group mural and I was being... Well, what does that mean for you? And I went, well, that's where I'd like to be. And it's, it got further analysed and I, was, I got to the giggle stage where I was just like, I can't analyse anything more than that's where I want to be. And I was like, but what are you denying? I'm not denying anything. I just want to be a bitch. That's it. 
some metaphors are pretty straightforward, <laughs> really. That, <laughs> um, but it was it coming. I think one of the the the, the really complex things is when you've been a performer, you have a very different relationship to music and how it affects you. And it's very it can be very much in the head. Bringing it down to how it affects your internal organs, I found very hard to try and because I was still very much in my head. So what did you see your classmates doing, I suppose? Sometimes analysing things that I just didn't understand, like they'd be saying, I can feel it here, you know, in this part of my body. And I'd be going, really? Why? It must have been hard <laughs> not just to wonder why that wasn't happening for you, but wonder if it was actually <laughs> happening for them as well. Yeah, sometimes I thought, you're just making that up. <laughs> but um, no, but maybe they weren't, you know, that wasn't for mm. me to judge. It was, I think, probably my more simplistic view of the world did conflict in an mm. experiential psychotherapeutic-based music therapy course but it also taught me that, you know, to see, I think, so much now that willingness to experiment and to improvise and to let go and not be stuck in a certain way. Was improvisation fairly new to you at this point? Sitting down with percussion instruments and, and improvising, absolutely. So eventually you finished the course. Mm -hmm. Did you do any practice as a music therapist in Germany? Yeah, so through the course that we had that experience, there was one woman that I worked with in aged care who was like 99. Wow. And as soon as you start singing a Marlene Dietrich song, she'd break out and tell you how, she, and I believe it was, she had a um, an, an, sort of a an very exquisite dress. She was a, a dressmaker and she had a beautiful shop on the main shopping promenade in Berlin and she um, made dresses for Marlene Dietrich. So uh, <laughs> she'd talk about that. It was quite beautiful. Um, so after I finished my course, uh, I knew, so we were up to, I was expecting a, a bubba in 2003. Sure. Who's no longer a bubba. And, um, but I wanted to keep my, uh, skills up. Mm. So um, I volunteered at um, a place called Lebenshilfe, so Life Help, and that was early intervention. Every council area <clears throat> in Berlin has something like a Lebenshilfe, and it's not to 18. And within that outpatient type situation but not connected to a hospital but a clinic, mm. there would be the paediatrician with the clinical children's psychologist, a number of speech therapists, physiotherapists, remedial and play therapists, occupational therapists, music therapists. Wow. And they were then connected to the schools and the kindergarten. So when I say kindergarten, that's uh, before school. So the daycare over there is the kindergarten, not kindergarten once you go to school. If they had any concerns about children, they would contact Liebenshilfer. Then a team would go out and assess that child. If the child couldn't be brought in because mum and dad are working, and um, they would do their assessments 
and then devise a program, whether it be as part of the kindergarten group or individual, depending on the needs. So I got to work alongside a music therapist and to gain some more insight and experience in early intervention. That's a setting that just doesn't exist in Australia. It's heartbreaking that it doesn't because just imagine, you know, like, first of all, you've you've got the, the support as a kindergarten, you've, you know, you know you've got the support of these services. These services are paid under um, everyone's insurance. It's private insurance, but it's taken it's for, back then it was 14 percent of your wage. And if you were on social services of some, some sort, then that support was paid through the social services. So everyone is taken care of. I had the, and I used that opportunity also to go and watch other, you know, like I'd go and watch the physiotherapist working or I'd go and watch the uh, remedial therapist working because I just wanted to see. Yeah, and to sit there and just to see how a team like that comes together, makes their assessments, makes their decisions, and then uh, the support, the right support's given and that a child doesn't miss out because, um a parent can't make it to an appointment, then the therapist would just totter off. Okay, so you had some very interesting experiences, not only of seeing um, how therapists can work, but how society can work with therapists. So when you did eventually get around to practising as a music therapist in Australia, was it very different experience to what it was like practising as a music therapist in Germany? Um, yes and no. My, funnily enough... 2000, I think it was 2006, I'm really not sure, Al Fuller was presenting at the um, National Conference in Sydney and sure. she was presenting on Sing and Grow. Mm. And I just went, that's what I want to do. I just, that, that was my decision that that's where I wanted to go. Is that something that resonated with you because of your experiences in Germany? It felt like it was the closest similar thing. I think I was just inspired by what Al was presenting at the conference and what, again, the power of music in a relationship. If I was to reflect back, I think that would be what I saw in Germany, my relationship to music and and reflecting the whole time on that. And then the improvisation, I mean, there was, was, in many ways it was quite removed in my training because yes. Sing and Grow is very structured in, in its way and the music therapy that I would be doing in Germany wasn't in that sense structured. So, no, I'd say it's fairly – there was. I think it was still that, that, that power of the relationship through, through music. That's probably what grabbed me in all of that. So, we jump forward and you're working at Sing and Grow. Did you want to draw some of what you learnt in Germany and experienced in Germany to the Australian context or did you feel much more at home working in Australia in the way Australians tend to work? No, I can remember there was a time, except, again, in Sing and Grow, because I think it was very structured and I knew what I was doing and and what I was wanting to achieve, Um, I felt very comfortable there. I think when I didn't feel comfortable was when I'd go to a conference and think I'm seeing things I understand things very differently from 
people's relationship to music therapy and their experiences. I think that's where a lot of conflict happened for me was often coming together and knowing that I'd experienced it very differently. I suppose you would have had a pretty clear idea as to how you, you wanted to practice as a music therapist by then and to see other music therapists practicing in quite a different way maybe it was jarring. It was it, I wouldn't have called it jarring. It was just trying to unpick it, really. As the years have gone on, I don't know if I've just modulated into this this space. I love the space that I'm in, and but I can see the benefits of how I was taught to think and to approach clients in Germany. The whole the whole process. I loved that I wasn't stuck to a. I had to do things in a certain way. So this method of how I was taught could be put on any direction of music therapy, really. Is it something that Australians need to learn? Is it missing from our industry here today? I think the more that one does all forms of improvisation to really explore what music and how music affects you in very different con contexts. So can it be, you know... When you are moving in a group to music and, and singing and whether you feel comfortable with that and why you feel comfortable or don't feel comfortable with that or when you're drawing, I love doing, I use a lot of, um, I will draw with the children in, in an individual therapy because I just want to see and sing with them and see what comes out. Mm. So I guess one of the things is I do improvise a lot yeah. in my, my work now. Uh, do you have a favourite therapy song that you like to use in your sessions? Everybody do this, do this, yes. Because <laughs> I can adapt it to anything, yeah. If you could go back in time and give yourself advice as a student music therapist as you're studying, what advice would you give? Enjoy the process. Try and keep yourself open and allow yourself to really get into the nitty-gritty of things yeah what's your favorite thing about being a music therapist seeing change well sam thank you for your time today <laughs> my pleasure thank you for listening to baselines if you enjoyed the show please hit follow and leave a rating and a review my single purpose for making this podcast is that it helps us the music therapists of today to think clearly and carefully about what we do I hope today's episode has given you something valuable to consider for your work and your practice.